Chapter Seven of Saint Charles Borromeo: A Sketch of the Reforming Cardinal by Louise M. Stackpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: The City of the Plains. Although several months had passed since Charles Borromeo had been nominated Archbishop of Milan, it was not until December seventh, fifteen sixty-three, the feast of Saint Ambrose, Bishop of Milan, that he was consecrated. The officiating prelate was Cardinal John Anthony Cervelloni assisted by the archbishop Tholome Sepentino and Felix Tirano. On march twenty third of the following year, Cardinal Alexander Farnese conferred on him the pallium with all the usual magnificent ceremonies. Charles ardently desired to take formal possession of his see, but the Pope would not allow him to leave Rome. Unable to go in person, he sent his vicar, Anthony Roberti, to represent him. The good priest was welcomed with open arms by the Milanese. It was eighty years since they had had a resident archbishop, and many of them had not only never received, but had never witnessed the conferring of the Sacrament of Confirmation, a strange and deplorable fact, particularly in a city so famed in former times for the sanctity of both pastors and people. It might, in the early ages of Christianity, have been called the City of Saints, for it counted thirty-six canonized saints among its prelates. Among these were St. Barnabas, who was the first bishop, and St. Ambrose, who before the coming of Charles was the greatest. On June 24, 1563, Charles had sent Father Palmio, S.J., and Father Cavagio, S.J., to prepare Milan to adopt the reforms decreed by the Council of Trent. They opened schools for the education of children, and did what they could to effect reforms, but it was absolutely impossible to bring their labors to a successful termination, while the archbishop was absent. Consequently, Charles implored Pius IV to allow him to set out for his see and to assemble the suffragan bishops, they were seventeen in number, at the provincial council. Accordingly, in September 1563, Charles was at last permitted to leave Rome. He traveled through Florence and Bologna, and was deeply grieved at the sad state of affairs in Tuscany. He wrote to the Pope, The Grand Duke of Florence greatly praises the bishops of Fisole and Siena, but the Archbishop of Florence has not yet taken possession of his see. Cosmo regrets this deeply. He tells me that Florence has not had a resident prelate for forty years. Her religious requirements are great. The people are in a state of deplorable ignorance. A complete spiritual reformation is necessary. And the Duke implores your holiness to send him an Archbishop. No matter who he is, as long as he comes at once, he will be heartily welcomed. Charles next stopped at Bologna where he was consoled and rejoiced to find religion in a flourishing condition, the citizens leading good and holy lives, and they and the clergy alike eager to submit in all things to the decrees of the Council of Trent. Finally, Charles entered Milan. He was greeted with enthusiasm. All the city was in fete. Rich draperies covered the walls of the houses. Triumphal arches spanned the streets. Not even in the olden days when splendor-loving Visconti and Suarza led their brides through gorgeously decorated streets in the midst of a loyal and enthusiastic people, were the pageants more splendid, the warm welcome more sincere. Seldom, if ever, had the rich city of the plains given a more heartfelt and magnificent reception to even the more distinguished of her sons than to the cardinal archbishop, riding slowly in on a white horse, attired in the robes of a prince of the church and wearing the mitre and cope. He lost no time in convoking the provincial council. On the seventh day after his arrival, the bishops walked in procession to the Dumo. An immense crowd filled its vast aisle, 
and the cardinal opened the proceedings by singing the high mass and preaching. The text he selected was, With desire have I desired to eat this pasch with you. Charles had quite overcome the impediment that had prevented his speaking fluently and distinctly. He now spoke not only with burning fervor, but with eloquence and grace. His hearers listened entranced, as his glowing words waked them from their spiritual lethargy into which they had fallen for he called on them in ringing tones to lead good and holy lives, to give up sin and perform penance for their past faults. He implored the clergy to devote themselves heart and soul to the duties of their sacred calling, and to unite their prayers with his for the salvation of souls. This first council was a model for all the succeeding ones. It lasted through many sessions. It drew up minute regulations for the bishops and clergy, and did much to aid towards the carrying out of the decrees of Trent. Charles sent an accurate account of its doings to the sovereign pontiff, who cordially approved of and confirmed its regulations. Charles, as papal legate, had to go to Trent to meet the archduchesses of Austria, the sisters of the emperor Maximilian, and to escort to Florence the princess who was about to wed the Duke of Tuscany. The duty he found decidedly irksome, but he was engaged in performing it with his usual thoroughness, and had just reached Firenzola when the news reached him of the serious illness of his uncle, Pius IV. At first he was undecided whether he should hasten at once to Rome, or wait to finish his mission. However, he heard such bad accounts of the Pope's health, and of the small chance there was of his recovery, that he asked permission of the Duke of Tuscany to leave. This request the Prince at once granted, and Charles immediately set out for Rome. End of chapter 7